It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The buildings are actually beginning to tilt. Hundred-story buildings. This goes so far beyond what anybody's willing to speak to up to now. We just finished surveying some of the damage in the neighborhood here in Queens. And earlier today, we we're in the Raritan Valley in New Jersey, which also got badly, badly hit. Walking these neighborhoods, meeting the families and the first responders, seeing how folks are doing after this destruction and pain and another devastating storm is an eye opener. The people who stand on the other side of the fences who don't live there, who are yelling that we're talking about in interfering with free enterprise by doing something about uh, climate change, they don't live there. That's right. That's right. They don't live. They don't understand. Yeah, they don't understand. Those people, and actually, I thought we had a clip of the hecklers, but I think we didn't get that. But so let me just tell you what people were saying. They were shouting at him. They said they left Americans. You left Americans behind. You left Americans behind. How dare you? Uh, one lady in New Jersey said, my country is going to blank, and you're allowing it. Uh, she said, and I'm an immigrant, and I'm proud of this country. I give my life for this country. You guys should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, another one, um, he was heckled by protesters at a fence that was in New Jersey, he was, uh, he was introduced by Chuck Schumer, <clears throat> and this is, again, in New York and Queens, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and also in New Jersey, and Chuck Schumer was with him. Chuck, of course, is the <clears throat> senator who is the majority leader in the Senate, and he introduced uh, President Biden as the man, who, <clears throat> I'm sorry about my voice, the man who will lead us out of darkness into this present moment. <laughs> so that's the way he was introduced, but people weren't really buying it. Uh, I'm not saying everyone. A lot of people, you know, get gathered around him happily. <clears throat> but there were a lot of people protesting, and that's the ones he was talking about who say they just don't understand. And, of course, what he's telling them is that, uh, you know, this storm in the Northeast, this terrible storm, is only because of climate change. In fact, I'll let you listen to him talk this ridiculous talk, and I'll tell you why it's ridiculous in a minute, clip two. The evidence clear. Climate change poses an existential mm -hmm. threat to our lives, to our economy, and the threat is here. It's not going to get any better. The question, can it get worse? We can stop it from getting worse. That's right. And when I talk about building back better, and Chuck is fighting for my program, our program on the Hill, when I talk about building back better, I mean you can't build to what it was before this last storm. You got to build better so if the, the storm occurred again, there would be no damage. There would be. But that's not going to stop us, though, because if we just do that, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse because the storms are going to get worse and worse and worse. And so, folks, we got to listen to the scientists and the economists 
and the national security experts, they all tell us this is code red. The nation and the world are in peril. That's not hyperbole. That is a fact. They've been warning us the extreme weather would get more extreme over the decade, and we're living in real time now. Yeah, you know, if only he would get that worried about uh, what's happening in Afghanistan. But no, no, it's the climate change. It's climate change. We are in peril. It's code red because of the storms that hit New York and New Jersey. And he's listening to science and listening to, you know, all these other experts. I actually think Joe Biden might want to read, just simply read the Bible that he evidently grew up respecting, even if he never read it. Because there is a God who created uh, all the systems in this world, uh, whether it's the sun, the moon, the stars that he hung. uh, The storms uh, come courtesy of that God, not courtesy of climate change, not courtesy of some random thing that happened. Uh, This is something that uh, happens out of the systems that God designed. And I, I think sometimes storms are, I think God can use storms. We know that from Scripture that he can use storms to punish people. But I think we could also say that it, we know that the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. So, so you cannot assume when a storm comes that there's punishment. So I just have to throw that in there. But it's not science that this is because the climate is changing and now storms are going to get worse and worse because of climate change, because you're driving an SUV and cows are you know, uh, being gaseous in the open pastures. I mean, this is really what they're trying to tell us. And you have to understand they're preparing you because they are going to be doing an all-out assault on the threat uh, to your life by climate change. Remember, the military has already decided that the number one threat to the United States is climate change. As silly as it sounds, that's what they're saying. And so he's repeating it. And, you know, as the uh, old German propagandists used to say, if you repeat a lie often enough, People will believe it. And so uh, they also are getting ready to pass this huge, they want to, this huge nearly $5 trillion bill, which implements all of the things of the Green New Deal. It's a nightmare. Uh, And so, but they want to make their words, make it sound like reality, but it isn't reality. It's not science. A climate has already, already changed, always changed. We've always had storms. We've always had these things. I mean, it will change. I mean, the moon is going to, you know, turn to blood, and uh, the uh, thing, this, everything's going to come crashing down. But that won't be climate change. That will be God-induced. And maybe, maybe uh, President Biden needs a conversation about that. But this is what they're teaching us, and this is what many people are believing, especially our kids. You know, our kids are believing we're going to be what dead in twelve years. Maybe it's eleven now or ten. That's what Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was preaching, and so Biden is just doing his part, and they want that money. Because the part of the Green New Deal, it's not just about climate. It's about everything. It's about building buildings, about uh, making it impossible for you to live and drive your own car. Uh, It's uh, about reducing people to living in a rural, not rural, but let's just say backward way, where you don't have independence, energy independence, where you can't keep your home, you know, cooled or heated the way you'd like to, because heavens, we can't have that. We have to have you, you know, suffering because that's, I don't know, justice. And so uh, that's really, it's a, there's a lot more to it. And we need to talk about that again, which we will, but not in this moment. All right, well, back to um, what we've talked about for several, well, at least for a few weeks here, and that's what's happening in Afghanistan. And I want to uh, just tell you, just give you a few headlines 
that are coming out of Afghanistan because you need to know. I was told last week, and I don't even think I told you this, that the power lines in Afghanistan were cut uh, after the Americans left so that people cannot get messages out. That's why we're hearing very little about it. Uh, we don't we don't know what's actually happening there. We do have a few things, and I'm going to tell you some of them. Remember when uh, Barack Obama exchanged Bo Bergdahl, the, the traitorous uh, soldier, American soldier, who wanted to leave? He was getting ready to escape. I think he—I'm not sure if he was not I can't remember if he was in Afghanistan, but— um, President Obama went to great lengths to find him. Americans always find their men. You know, they don't leave any soldier behind. And so uh, people, men were injured, and some one at least was killed trying to find Bo Bergdahl to rescue him from himself because he wore, uh, you know, um, Muslim garb and escaped wherever it was that they were encamping. And they brought him back. And um, the reason they were able to bring him back is because President Obama exchanged uh, five Guantanamo detainees for the traitor Bo Bergdahl. Well, you'll be happy to know that four out of five of them right now uh, are now in senior positions in the new Taliban government. Yeah, they're, 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 they, you know, so they're, they're perfectly equipped because now they, uh, they know about America. And uh, so now they're running the show in Afghanistan. So thank you, President Obama. I bet President Obama thinks it's funny. I bet he does. I bet if you saw him in private and you shared this story with him, he would laugh about that. Um, it's not very funny, is it? And so the Taliban is now painting humiliating murals, murals on a former U.S. embassy in Afghanistan. They're putting up their, the flag of the Taliban and, you know, pretty much just uh, defacing the front of it because now it's theirs. I guess why shouldn't they? Now it's theirs. We sort of just left it to them. And also, uh, out of Arab news, we are finding out that the Taliban has, has, is delivering U.S. military vehicles to... Iran. And I'll tell you what the, the people in Britain are saying. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Jonathan Kitson, writer of Defense and Security Issues. And he said, the loss of these vehicles is another embarrassment for the U.S. and could be damaging in the future of these vehicles. In the future, if these vehicles are used to either extract valuable technical information or to impersonate U.S. forces in Iraq. Uh, yeah, so you think they might be used for that purpose? I think they might be. We also do know this. I told you that we're not hearing much uh, because uh, they did cut the, the wires and brought down the towers. Uh, so uh, a Taliban has murdered a pregnant police officer in front of her family, and that was a report from the BBC. Uh, a pregnant Afghan police officer in the provincial cap- capital of Ferozko was shot dead by Taliban fighters in front of her family. Family. Uh, Nagar, who worked at the local prison, was eight months pregnant. So they're busy doing, you know, what they do. Uh, Fort McCoy, by the way, coming back to this country to find out what's going on. Fort McCoy is in Wisconsin. You may recall that the the congressman who represents that district was on talking about how the thousands of refugees are being brought to Wisconsin, and they're allowed to just leave the base. They don't have to get permission. They can just wander off and do whatever they want. So now here's the story. This is from Fox News. Fort McCoy has been hit by a case of measles. And that's in the middle of this, uh, all the Afghan refugees and the people of Wisconsin who are living around Fort McCoy. And by the way, measles, you may not know this because we get vaccinated for measles, the real vaccinations, where if you get vaccinated, you don't get it. You know, honest-to-goodness vaccinations like polio, where you don't, uh, you don't get the disease ever, whooping cough. Uh, we've been out of without those diseases for years, but now they're coming home to us. 
uh, because of the way we're bringing people into this country. So measles, uh, it's described by the CDC as highly contagious, uh, and that 90% of the people close to the person who has it uh, usually get the virus, and it can be very, very dangerous. If you've seen old movies of the Old West, you remember that. Children used to die of measles. So, so thank you. Thank you, President Biden, for this care you've taken of your Americans. But it's the climate. Now, that's code red. That is code red. We had a, a storm in, in the Northeast, and uh, it's because of climate change. But, you know, these people coming into the country, oh, I know General Milley's saying they're vetted, but some of us just don't believe that. Uh, and I could go into that, but I won't in this moment. All right, so then um, now there's another problem because Afghan men are arriving at Dulles Airport, and the people, the powers that be there are finding out that they're bringing these older men are bringing these younger women and introducing them as their brides. And now the brides are telling officials that they've been raped by these men, and uh, they're younger women who've been kidnapped and raped, and now the older men claim them as their wives. And these older men have several wives. So people and these, uh, well, they're they're being sent to bases all over the country, and the uh, officials, the Biden officials, are not quite sure what to do with them. So yet yet more things to be thrilled about. All right, so uh, General Milley... I'm not going to have time to play this clip, but you may remember that he denied uh, that he had anything to do with closing Bagram Air Force Base. And he also said it was a decision made by the commander there, uh, General Miller. And now we find out from Rick Grinnell, and again, I don't have time to play these clips, but Rick Grinnell was on television last night and said it was absolutely a lie. He knows personally that General uh, Miller did not order that. In fact, he said just the opposite, because if we close that base, that's the one we can't do that and leave just one airfield and take out our military. So uh, General Milley, according to Rick Grinnell, who is the former director of national intelligence, just lied. He lied in Congress. He's lied on television. I saw him with an interaction with uh, Jennifer Griffin last night uh, talking about how well vetted all of these people are. These are our leaders. These are uh, Joe Biden's uh, handpicked persons uh, to handle military. We, we can see now what a disaster they have been and will continue to be as long as he uh, can function and pretend he's a functioning president. All right. Well, when we come back, there's going to be more. So, okay, but I'll try to give you some good news. I'll try to look for some. Okay. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. May I tell you about 17-year-old Esther in Africa? Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Esther is only 17. She's part of the famous Maasai tribe in Kenya. It's a country that I visited not too long ago. Girls like Esther, they're subjected to Maasai traditions that are not taught in the Bible, including female circumcision and polygamy where a man has many wives and some younger than Esther are forced into arranged marriages against their will. Now, having endured this mistreatment, Esther lived with bitter unforgiveness until a Bible League volunteer introduced her to the hope of the gospel and now she's led dozens of teen girls and young adult women to Jesus and she's praying for Bibles so they can grow in their walk with Him. And that's exactly why Bible League is inviting you to send God's Word to Bibleless believers around the globe at only $5 a Bible. $100 sends 20 Bibles and Friends of Bible League will match every single gift. Call 800-YES-WORD 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 or click SendBiblesNow.org SendBiblesNow.org 
The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. If you're a first responder, you know the right training can make all the difference in a crisis. At Liberty University, we know the right training can make all the difference for your future. So we're proud to offer you a 25% discount on our more than 450 online degree programs. Combine this discount with our generous military benefits if you or your spouse also have military experience. Learn more about getting the right training at Liberty University by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595. The commander of Fort Dix personally removed a cross from a memorial honoring fallen service members after nearly two dozen troops allegedly got triggered. The cross had been part of a display that was posted outside a training complex. That drew the ire of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Now, they say at least 17 soldiers complained, suffered some sort of adverse mental reaction to the cross. In response, the woke base commander waved the white flag of surrender. You know, I've covered the angst-filled mutterings of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation for well over a decade, and I've noticed some rather glaring similarities in all the cases. All of the aggrieved soldiers are anonymous. I find it very hard to believe that soldiers on the battlefield would renounce their faith in God and instead cry out to the Military Religious Freedom Foundation for salvation. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Following up on the Texas law, why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion is morally wrong? He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. Why does the president, who does he believe then should look out for the unborn child? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions, uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. The president believes their rights should be respected. Go ahead. I think we got to move on. I think we have to move on. You've had plenty of time today. Go ahead. Well, that's uh, Jen Psaki, and that was last week, in case you missed it. And that was a reporter asking her, of course, why her boss, Joe Biden, who's uh, supposedly such a committed Catholic, is so strongly pro-choice. How can that be? And uh, she's defending her boss and defending all women. Uh, I, I don't, you know, the, this point has been made, so not new with me. But she forgot that they're supposed to be saying birthing persons. Birthing persons have a right. Birthing, we don't have men and women now. We just have 
birthing persons because they'd like for us to believe, the Biden administration, that men too can have babies. But that's beside the point. She's also claiming this old argument that, you know, men uh, shouldn't have any, they don't know anything about abortion. It's not their bodies. And I spent a long time with you yesterday talking to you about why absolutely men Men suffer when uh, they do. Some of them don't. Some of them are callous and hard. Some women are, and they, but abortion doesn't seem to bother them. But I would say most men, uh, it, at some level, when they think about the fact that they've terminated the life of their child, it affects them in later years. And I made the case yesterday about some men I had uh, talked to in Chicago about that. Uh, but uh, that so after that, I don't think that I'm not sure exactly which day that uh, that that soundbite came. The Supreme Court. Denied, uh, denied uh, stopping a Texas abortion law that passed. And we're going to talk about that in great detail in just a minute with Carrie Severino. So I'm going to save the details for when she joins us. Uh, but it's called T- Texas Heartbeat Act, and it's very interesting. It's a unique approach uh, to stopping abortions. And again, we'll talk with Carrie about that. Well, the left is going apoplectic. I mean, they are just apoplectic. And uh, just to give you an example of the media alone, let's listen to this clip eight. Clip eight. If you ever wondered where you'd be and what you'd be doing and what it would be like for you when Roe versus Wade came to an end in America and abortion started to be banned in America. This is the single most insane law written about abortion in the Republicans' decades-long quest to overrule and circumvent Roe versus Wade. So how is it an attack on women to ban abortion in Texas? On MSNBC, they're not even trying to explain. They just want you to know that if you're for this law in Texas, you're the Taliban. Yeah, you're the Taliban. Yeah, yeah, that's what they keep telling us. Now, we are the Taliban. Those of you who want to, uh, don't want children to be brutalized, we are the Taliban. The Taliban, meanwhile, is... You know, killing, uh, killed a pregnant woman. I just told you that. She shot, they shot her in front of her family. She's eight, eight months pregnant. Um, that's killing. Well, you know what? That would be a very efficient way to, uh, to abort babies, wouldn't it? Just, uh, and, you know, it's population control, too, now that you think about it. So I think the Taliban maybe has more in common with the American left than they do with uh, those of us that want to save babies and save women, too. We want to stop them from doing something that will impact their lives for the rest of their lives, even though they may be young and they don't even understand it. Something they will regret. They have no idea what they're getting themselves into, and they think it's just over uh, once they leave the clinic. Some of them do. I, I don't think most do. I having having you know this is something God spared me from. You know I I don't take any credit for my. Uh, good behavior, wise choices, other than the fact that I knew Jesus at an early age. And I made better choices because of that. Uh, but it isn't because I'm just inherently superior. But I, So I was spared this. And um, I, I've just heard too many stories from women who've, been, who've had abortions that they, they, they do, they can't come through that and not remember the sounds, the feelings, the women crying in the beds next to them. That's another story that I've been told just having a, just a room full of weeping women, just girls quiet, you know, crying after the procedure. Oh, it's horrendous. Uh, and so we're trying to stop women from making that choice because they don't, it's like, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And so we are thinking of the women and we're thinking of the babies as well. Well, Claire McCaskill is a senator from uh, Missouri. And uh, Claire McCaskill, 
I, I, she, she adores, she loves, she worships at the sacred altar of abortion. Uh, she was elected uh, by a beating Todd Aiken, who was very strongly pro-life, however inarticulate he was. Uh, and uh, he, made some, he made some misstatements, and uh, the left took his misstatements and flew with them. And Claire uh, was elected only because uh, of his lack of articulation about what he really believed. At a case, at a time when he could have really laid it out there, he tried to be too clever. I'm just telling you, my that's my perspective. I, I remember it very well. So Claire breezed in, and she's been a nightmare. She has been a nightmare. She has been a nightmare, especially on abortion. So she was on yesterday, MSNBC, and I just want you to hear what she had to say as she talked about how horrible it is what the Supreme Court has just done. Claire McCaskill, clip nine. The Supreme Court has done something that is far beyond what I imagined they would do. I was very worried about Roe v. Wade standing in light of the case from Mississippi that they're going to hear in a few weeks. But the notion that in the shadow docket, in the dark of night, they would bless this kind of statutory BS is really startling. Um, because make no mistake, they put a bow on a law that says you no longer have to have standing to bring a social grievance to court. All you have to do is think you've got some kind of proof that somebody intended to help somebody get an abortion. Imagine a mother who is trying to help their 13-year-old daughter when she just found out that this daughter had been repeatedly raped by her boyfriend. Imagine her being the one that is pulled into court and is asked to pay money that clearly she would not have and legal expenses she would not have just for trying to help her daughter under those circumstances. It's very extreme. This idea, this personhood, that this is going to be a result of what Texas has done. No, it's already happened. That's the law in my state. If Roe falls then immediately in Missouri, it's a question whether you can have an in vitro child, whether you can even get the morning after pill, because the minute Roe falls in Missouri, life and all the rights attributable to life begin at the moment of conception. So no morning after pill, no unused embryos and in vitro fertilization. Think of all the families that would not have children if we make IVF illegal. That was Claire McCaskill, the senator from Missouri. And she goes on, and the end of it, she makes the point that this is, they've done us a favor. This is going to help us win the election. Actually, I agree with Claire that I've had that same thought. They will whip uh, women into a frenzy, and uh, that will be the probably the strongest pushback uh, if there is a free and fair election in 2022. Uh, so uh, it's all political to them. And I just have to say, she remembered that a person like Claire gives you the most exaggerated uh scenario to create an emotional response like she threw in there imagine the mother of a 13 year old girl whose boyfriend has raped her repeatedly and she takes her to the abortion clinic to you know take care of this and she gets a a, a fined ten thousand dollars because she's trying to help her 13 year old daughter who was raped repeatedly by her boyfriend you know so as though you would have a boyfriend that you allowed to rape you repeatedly uh but uh this is the kind of uh, way they play this game well, we've been at this for a very long time, me longer than Carrie Severino, but she's actually the ex- expert in this. Carrie is the chief counsel and policy director of the Judicial Crisis Network. She is an expert in this country on all things uh, Supreme Court and other courts, too, and, and the law. She's a national treasure, and she joins us this morning. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning. How are you doing? 
Oh, I'm good. I'm sure you're probably tired of thinking about this and even talking about it, but we have to carry kind of flesh out what this Texas Heartbeat Act does. I read about it. Claire McCaskill just painted her picture of it. But what exactly did this Texas law uh, set in motion? Right. So I think the the important thing to remember here is that this is one version of what, you know, if the the case that really is going to decide this question is the Dobbs case. That's the Mississippi case that's coming before the Supreme Court. What would happen if that case, as I hope it does, overturns Roe versus Wade, is that we, we wouldn't see 50 states that look like Texas. We're going to see 50 different states because every state's going to try to make that decision at a different point. Um, and the Texas law uh, does so in a way that is really unique. Uh, they have said you can't have an abortion after a heartbeat, right? And we know that that starts around six weeks. So Killer McCaskill's language about in vitro fertilization, obviously anything that's happening is there. It's happening pre-heartbeat. That's not even addressed by the Texas law. We shouldn't be surprised. We typically see the left using disinformation, using uh, misleading analogies and stuff to try to uh, scaremonger about laws when that's not actually what's even at issue in the Texas law. So in Texas, it has to do with uh, abortion after there's a detectable fetal heartbeat. And again, that's around six weeks. But what it does that is that is interesting is the state isn't the one that's enforcing it. The people who would be enforcing it is uh, is someone else other than the state could sue um, someone who was involved in the abortion. So they could sue the abortionist um, or they could sue someone who was helping to procure the abortion or as often happens. I mean, unfortunately, the story she's talking about with um, victims of rape uh, being uh, being brought in for an abortion, oftentimes it's the, it's the rapist, it's someone who is who has been abusing someone who's bringing it in, trying to cover up their crime. So that person also would be would be someone who could be sued under that law. But there's a lot of uh, people that are, are concerned because it also goes broader than that. There's, uh, you know, it's possible you could theoretically, and people keep on talking about Uber drivers or a Lyft driver who brought someone to a clinic. Um, it's possible the law would sweep that far. So it's broader than I think some states um, might want to go, right? And, but what we're, in, in reality, what we would see in a post-Roe world is that the American people actually would be able to make the choice about their own laws. Talk about freedom of choice. Different states could actually choose. How do we want to address this very difficult issue? And some states like Missouri, you know, their law says no abortions after 15 weeks. Uh, you might have people draw the line at six weeks. You're going to have, uh, unfortunately, states like New York and California who are going to say right up to the moment of birth. And, you know, maybe afterwards, you don't even have to save a child that has survived an abortion. We're going to see a whole range. But what it really does is put that decision back in the hands of the American voters. And then, um, you know, it's the job of the pro-life movement to explain to voters why it's so important to protect those lives that are most vulnerable. Yeah. So uh, Governor Whitmer weighed in on this yesterday because I guess, uh, to your point, uh, Michigan had a law that was passed in 1930 that restricts abortion completely. Uh, and so she's begging this Michigan state legislature to repeal that law uh, before she's afraid that Roe versus Wade will be overturned by this decision. Uh, so I just wanted to give another example. And I think, that, you know, there'll be a lot of states uh, that have old laws on the books that were superseded or overtaken or dismissed or ignored because Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973. But I, I found out something that really interested me, Carrie. I, I, the whole notion of having civilians be able, civilians, well, not, not the governments, but just people, citizens, uh, be able to sue someone who expedited, helped willingly, knowingly took someone to an abortion clinic. That seemed 
really, I've never heard of that before, but I was reading that actually it was the left who came up with that strategy and uh, other issues. I, I did not know that. In fact, uh, for ex- example, Proposition 65 in California, it was a law passed by voters in 1986 that required businesses to warn consumers if they may be exposed to chemicals that cause cancer, birth defects, or other reproductive harms. And so uh, they allow that law allowed the California Attorney General and city attorneys to enforce its provisions, but they allowed any person acting in the public interest to bring a civil lawsuit. And there's a whole list of them. Animal rights people have done mm-hmm. this, same, tried to do the same thing. Uh, so it's it's kind of a, a tactic of the left adopted by the right. Would you do you think that's accurate? Oh yeah, this is this is not a this is a unique law in the abortion context, but it's certainly not the only area of law that it, it, that allows a citizen-type lawsuit uh, to be brought. And you're correct that many of those areas are uh, are laws that have been advanced by the left. I think they're just very frustrated in this case, obviously, to see it uh, used by uh, <laughs> by a movement that they don't agree with. I know, it's just kind of funny. You have to chuckle. We have to laugh when we can, right, Carrie? Um, so let's talk about this Supreme Court decision, though, because, uh, as you know, uh, Justice Roberts uh, ruled with the other two Liberal, well, Sotomayor and, um, yes, I'm not sure who the other one was. Uh, Which, because uh, the other three liberals voted, voted with the Sotomayor, oh, the th- Kagan, and Breyer, and okay. Chief Justice Roberts all voted uh, that they would have uh, paused, stopped this law during the litigation. So uh, did Chief Justice Roberts write his reason for, for, for saying... For joining with the other three liberal justices, did he say what he thought about it and why he made that decision? Uh, yeah, you know, I think, and and this is something that may that may be a sentiment that other justices of the court feel. I think he talked about being concerned about this type of um, of a law that the law was designed to avoid pre enforcement litigation because what what a lot of uh, pro life laws have run into historically is that before the law even comes into effect. It gets stayed by a lower court because the lower court says this law, this, this is clearly going to lose in the merits because Roe versus Wade is the standing precedent. It says you can't, you can't prohibit abortions at this phase. This law is going to fall. So we're not even going to let the law fully go into effect because of the way that um, this law was written, where it only includes civil enforcement, not the government enforcing it. That, that's the reason that five justices said, you know, I'm sorry, we can't even, we can't even stay this law because you're suing the government, who is not the people that are enforcing the law. So there was, they weren't suing the right people. Then they sued another pro-life activist who said, I wasn't planning on suing anyone. Why are you under this law? Why are you, why are you bringing me into court? So they were simply not suing the right people to get the law, to be able to get the law blocked. So that, that makes this law very different from other laws because they can't stop it from going into effect in the first place. Just Chief Justice Roberts sounded like he was concerned that this not this is a you know novel system that this is maybe trying to do an end run around court review um you know that may be but the the, the end that they were trying to do that kind of a, a circumventing these these challenges the pre-enforcement challenges but at the end of the day your job still as a judge and as a justice is to look at what what is the legal standard here so the legal standard is you have to bring someone to court who is someone who's actually going to be enforcing this law if you want to enjoin them enforcing it. And in this case, uh, the lawsuit simply didn't do that. So what the court decided was uh, making a mistake, a very important decision, and it shows that they had the courage to stand up to the the pressure campaigns that are just so intense around this issue. Um, But actually, the court wasn't making a decision in this particular instance based on 
their opinions of Roe versus Wade itself. It really had to do with the procedural matter. It's a concern, right. of course, that the Chief Justice wasn't even willing to to apply those consistent procedural rules in this case. And maybe um, I think people are concerned that that could have had to do with this pressure campaign again and the intense um, rhetoric that surrounds this issue. Unfortunately, we need to have a, a set of laws that is applied even-handedly, which means that means they apply even-handedly even if the issue is abortion. So uh, so the Texas law actually has gone into effect. I believe the date has come and gone, right? Mm-hmm. But the ACLU right. and others are, have already uh, asked for a stay. So you want to predict? What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, well, they're, they're, they're not going to be able to stay the law because they, they, that's already been tried and failed. Um, but they are going to, I think the challenge is until someone actually performs an abortion in Texas after six weeks and then someone else decides, I'm, you know what, I'm going to bring this lawsuit because they've now violated that law and triggered the ability to sue as a, as a, as a citizen, um, until that happens, the court is not going to be able to really grapple with the underlying issue of, okay, is this law uh, constitutional? By that point, we may well have a decision in the Dobbs case, which will provide some guidance, uh, but still doesn't resolve some of the procedural questions and the, the, the intricacies of how this particular law was drafted. So I think the court may well have a chance to address those issues down the line, uh, but in order to do that, we have to have a test case. And up until now, it seems to me that the abortion clinics in Texas have acknowledged that under this law, they, they can't continue functioning. So I, I am not aware that they have been performing abortions in, uh, in violation of the law. All right. So uh, a couple of these are complex questions, and we just have about five minutes left, Carrie. But I, I was reading yesterday and shared with my audience, as best I could understand it, that Merrick Gar- Garland made a statement, I think, on Labor Day or over the weekend, that the Justice Department is looking for ways to stop this abortion law. Can the Justice Department really, on its own, go into a state and uh, interfere with a, a, a law passed by the legislature and signed by the governor of that state? Uh, well, here's the challenge. Obviously, he hasn't found a way, or he'd be announcing that he had a way <laughs> to do it, right? So that is that, I think, is really an open question. They're sort of brainstorming and trying to find how can we get around this. It's true that federal law does um, supersede state law. So if there was a state law that was in violation of federal law or in violation of the federal constitution, then there would be a role for the Department of Justice to make sure that the state wasn't somehow violating the federal law in the, or the constitution, which we know is the supreme law of the land. The challenge here is that, that as you and I know, there is nothing about the abor- abortion in the constitution, um, but we nonetheless have a case that says that the Constitution does talk about abortion. So we're living in a very, uh, you know, a kind of uh, through the looking glass uh, yes. world here where we have right. to do the, uh, under, under the Supreme Court precedent says that the Constitution supplants that. So they're going to be brainstorming ways they can come in and use that to block the law. Again, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court will address this issue in the clearer case, which is the Dobbs case. They're going to be hearing on the merits maybe as soon as December um, because that, that will be a much easier way for the court to look at it, not in these emergency hearings, not in a procedurally complicated situation like the Texas law, but in a much cleaner, clearer case like the Mississippi law they will be looking at. I'm hopeful that we have an, um, members of the Supreme Court that understand that the, the text of the Constitution has to govern and so aren't going to be 
uh, playing along with this uh, this legal fiction, really, of pretending there's an abortion right in the Constitution when we know that there's there, there clearly isn't one, and that was never the original understanding of any any words in the Constitution. Yes, and we I should I should interject because this is something that people who are new to this story or this subject need to know that even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late justice on the Supreme Court, said that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided, and she felt it was a terrible law. And I think even Alan Dershowitz has said something similar. And these are people that have been on the left and very pro, pro-abortion. And, of course, Roe versus Wade was a case that was decided. It was all based on lies. Uh, the uh, uh, Sandra Kano was the, the Doe versus Bolton part of it. Uh, she, the stories that they told about them in court were completely complete lies. It's just an amazing thing that it's lasted this long. But, uh, Carrie, I think you've actually already hinted as to what you think. But I'm going to ask you, do you honestly believe that this court, and I will prejudice your answer by saying, who has shown, uh, with very few exceptions, maybe the exception two justices, have shown a, a fear of really doing anything controversial. Do you really think that this court, even though they, we thought they were justices who were inclined to think life was sacred, do you really think this court would overturn Roe versus Wade? You know, I think that is, that is the million-dollar question, right? I think the challenge is we have justices who have claimed uh, and have a, really a long track record of being originalists. Um, the chief, by the way, not really among them. He never actually even claimed to be an originalist, so maybe we should be less surprised that he's not adhering to that philosophy of constitutional interpretation. But it's one thing, and this is something that, that people get frustrated about the court with, but it's just a fact of life. The justices would rather decide a small question rather than a big one. If there's a way to resolve a case without going you know, 100%, if they can resolve the case by going 50% in a direction, they often will do that, right? That can be frustrating. The challenge here is that there isn't really an escape hatch. There's, if you look at the Mississippi law, and that says that you can't have an abortion uh, past the point of fetal pain, which they've determined to be 15 weeks, right? So if, if you are going to strike that, if, if you're going to uphold that law and say, you know what, whatever Roe versus Wade means, it doesn't mean this, you have a choice. You can either say it's because Roe versus Wade has no basis in the Constitution, which, again, as you pointed out, many legal uh, scholars on the left who are very pro-choice acknowledge that Roe versus Wade is a decision that's not based in law, based in, in really sheer power of we can do this and we think it's the right thing to do, so we're going to do it, not really legal basis in the Constitution. If you, if you acknowledge that Roe versus Wade is wrong, that's one way to decide it. But if you want to leave Roe versus Wade in place, the justices would be faced with having to invent an entirely new system or uh, of determining, well, in that case, what can states outlaw in, in terms of abortion? How, how far can they go in regulating abortion? These justices would have to effectively invent, invent law from scratch to, in order to come up with a uh, not complete decision in this case. I think that's something that we have seen isn't something that really even the chief justice is excited about doing. He's written about how it's one thing, you know, stare decisis is important, but when but you can't rewrite a decision in order to try to uphold it. So we know, unfortunately, he has rewritten some laws to uphold them. So I hope that he would <laughs> he would stick with his previous comments on that, recognizing you can't rewrite um, the law in order in the, the previous case in order to try to save it. In especially a case that is as morally and as um, as legally bankrupt as Roe versus Wade. You know, it helped me a lot for you to just, I guess for some reason I missed that, missed the, no, the memo that John Roberts wasn't a strict constructionist. I did not know that, and that explains a lot. 
uh, why he's so all over the map and plays what we think is loose with what the law actually states. And so it's really interesting. Well, Carrie, it's always a pleasure to have you, uh, Carrie, against the chief counsel for Judicial Crisis Network. And one last question. Any news on Stephen Breyer? Is he leaving or is he staying? You know, I don't think I'm the first person who's going to call to let me to let know. I think <laughs> oh, come on. You know, this, this term, he's going to have the opportunity to be, um, as he did most of last term, to be the senior justice in the liberal uh, wing of the court. That, he has commented that he really enjoys this position. Um, it, it allows him to assign opinions anytime um, he's assigning a dissent. If the, when the liberals are in dissent, or if, he, he, if the chief justice is not in the majority, he gets to assign that majority. That's a lot of power. And yeah. um, I think he's, he's yeah. been a long time as the junior justice, so I think he enjoys that. So, I think he also wants to push that. Okay, the, well, that's... Political pressure. So I hope well, then, good. yeah, he hasn't certainly hasn't budged so far, so I guess we should be probably very relieved. Carrie Severino, thank you, Carrie. I go back to your... How many children now? How many? How many? Oh, only six. Oh, just six. Okay, go, go give busy now. So uh, we're expecting a lot from you, Carrie. (laughs) All right, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Acts 17.26 conveys to us the reality that we were born and placed in the 21st century by God's specific design. He determined before time where we would live and when we would live there. If you're in Minnesota, Mississippi, or Maine, God put you there on purpose. He's not surprised by the darkness we see around us, nor is he caught off guard by it. In fact, he specifically prepared for it by making sure you're alive right now. God can do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to use you and me as ambassadors of his kingdom. We are his torches to light up the darkness. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Aria is suffering for the gospel. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and eventually received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He beat young Aria nearly to death and called the officials to report her as an infidel. They took her to her remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend and eventually let them go. 
Now these two women, they didn't grow bitter, they grew bold and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ in the Middle East where it's nearly impossible to get a Bible. And that's why Bible League is inviting you to send God's Word to Bibleist believers around the globe at only $5 a Bible. $100 sends 20, every gift matched. Call 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word or click sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. As we commemorate the murder of nearly 3,000 Americans 20 years ago, the people who made the 9-11 attack possible have already begun to celebrate that act of jihad. The Taliban just kicked their party into high gear with the announcement of their new government. Don't be fooled by claims that it is an interim one. What matters is that it is exclusively comprised of Sharia supremacists. Some of them in charge the last time the Taliban were in power. Others are Gitmo alumni. And the minister entrusted with internal security is a Haqqani jihadist with a $5 million U.S. bounty on his head. The question occurs, how many of the Afghan refugees Joe Biden has just brought here share those jihadis' commitment to Sharia and its requirement that violence be used to force the world to submit to that totalitarian code? This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I think the reasoning behind him being so resistant, so livid, and so full of ad hominem is he realizes that once the public realizes that the NIH under his leadership funded the Wuhan lab, that is beyond question they did, the NIH funded the lab, but once the public figures out that they were doing very, very dangerous research there, gain-of-function research, taking animal viruses and making them more transmissible into humans. Once everybody puts this together, he realizes where the blame's going to attach. He has at least tangential responsibility. If this came from the lab that he was funding, my goodness, can you imagine the moral culpability that the man has? But you also have to place this in context. Since 2012, he has said repeatedly that Yes, an accident can happen, but the research is worth it. Even if an accident were to cause a worldwide pandemic, the research is worth it. That judgment call is something that most Americans or people who have family members of the four million people who died would say, you know what, maybe that research isn't working if if this contagion actually came out of a lab where they're doing this research. They also do this research in the United States. They do it in Galveston and in North Carolina. So this is a big debate, not just over blame, but over whether or not this could happen again in the United States. Senator Rand Paul on an interview with uh, Sean Hannity, and he's talking, of course, about Dr. Anthony Fauci and that he has uh, his hands are not clean and the creation of this virus that has killed so many people in the United States and around the globe. Uh, you heard what he said. I don't have to repeat it. And he's responding to a report by The Intercept who got 900 pages of previously undisclosed inf- information from the NIH, and a lot of it is email between Dr. Fauci and people that he worked with. And in the course of uh, those emails, which I I can't go into detail with you due to the time here, but we find out that uh, Anthony Fauci knew exactly what happened and that he was frantically in the middle of the night trying to kind of cover his tracks with people around him. Uh, And it's not just uh, Rand Paul, who is also a doctor, that is calling calling Dr. Fauci out. It's also Richard 
Richard Ebright. He's a molecular biologist at Rutgers University. He reviewed the material, and he told The Intercept that the viruses they constructed were tested for their ability to infect mice that were engineered to display human-type receptors on their cell. He said the documents make it clear that assertions by the NIH Director Francis Collins and the NIAID Director Anthony Fauci that the NIH did not support gain-of-function research or potential pandemic pathogen enhancement are untruthful. And uh, so remember that Dr. Fauci told the House Appropriations Committee that funds were given to the Chinese lab through Echo Health Alliance, uh, and he said it was just a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese scientists. He is uh, obfuscated and avoided and tried to put himself in the forefront so that he's in control of everything, but we believe the truth is he is responsible for much of what has transpired. Is that not ironic? Uh, Rand Paul is going to be uh, um, pursuing charges against Dr. Fauci. I don't know what, if it's lying before Congress or if it's the actual thing that uh, we feel that he's responsible for that has to be uh, proven in some court of law. Uh, but that's uh, that's the story on that. And I want to just give you some practical information. I mentioned this yesterday, but because so many of you are emailing and are having problems right now, catching the COVID virus, and some of you are very, very sick, and some of you have loved ones who are, I want to repeat, uh, that... Um, uh, myfreedoctor.com. Myfreedoctor.com is, I believe, the place to go right now. Uh, they have had, they give a regimen, uh, depending on your circumstances, how sick you are, they have a treatment that they uh, give, and they have had a 99.9% success in uh, making people whole again. Uh, who are uh, who are positive with COVID. So that's myfreedoctor.com. And I urge you if, you, if you've emailed me with these stories that just break my heart because you're suffering so much, contact them, myfreedoctor.com. And if you're a doctor who's really conflicted about what you're being asked to do and what you know is true and you're not allowed to say it, they're looking for doctors. They're expanding, and I think the the business model, it's free. You don't have to have insurance. You give a donation if you get the care that you think. Uh, you can give a donation. If you can't afford it, you don't have to. It really is myfreedoctor.com. No insurance, and uh, the doctors are remunerated based on your donations. So, And the, I understand the doctors are doing well for those of you that might be doctors who are pondering what you might do. It's myfreedoctor.com. Okay, I think that's it for today. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.